Hey there, thanks for listening. Before we jump into this episode, I just want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by us over at TalkPython Training and Brian through his PyTest book. So if you want to get hands-on and learn something with Python, be sure to consider our courses over at TalkPython Training. Visit them via pythonbytes.fm slash courses. And if you're looking to do testing and get better with PyTest, check out Brian's book at pythonbytes.fm slash PyTest. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 254, recorded on October 13th, 2021. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Aachen. Hi, Mohamed Raza. Yeah, hey, Mohamed, welcome. It's great to have you here. Good to have Hi. you on the show. Hi, Michael and Brian. It's, I'm really excited to be on the show. It's been one of my goals. Like, I started listening to podcasts when I was in college back as an undergrad. And wow. your podcast, that was one of the reasons I developed a love for Python. So That's super amazing. Yeah. Uh, tell people a bit about yourself before so we jump into that. I currently show. work at AWS, Amazon Web Services, as a professional service consultant. So my job is to like help our customers in their cloud journey. So we basically do help them with our, we help them with different cloud services, such as if they want to do like cloud migration or if they want to like put some service on AWS Cloud. So that's where professional services comes in to like implement and help them with their cloud journey. You must see a lot of different implementations and configurations and teams yeah. and types of software. Yeah. You, you get exposed to a lot of things quickly like this, yeah. right? Yeah. So it, it's pretty, it's pretty fun job. Like you work with different, wide, different customers, like every customer has a different problem. So like you get to touch upon like different problems. So as a consultant, so it's, it's a really yeah. amazing job. Yeah, that's awesome. That's one of the things I think, you know, for people who are early in their career to help them go fast and, and level up is get a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. Yep. And I totally agree with you. Awesome. Well, I think maybe Brian should kick us off with the first item. What do you think, Brian? So Python 3.10, we talked about this last week. Python 3.10 is out. It came out October 4th, it looks like. And I've been using it and a lot of people have been using it. But one of the things we do is we update our, uh, with a project, if you support a package, you wanna make sure to go and uh, change your your testing, your CI testing to make sure that you're using Python 3.10 instead of Python 3 dev, 3.10 dev, that's what I was testing before. So, uh, as in, but there's an issue. So uh, Python, or Anthony Shaw um, brought it up on Twitter, a bunch of other people did too, but I'm grabbing his, um, his tweet. It says basically, you can use 3.10 on GitHub Actions now, but you need to make sure that you quote the 3.10. So um, this is... So you don't test on 3.1? Yeah, exactly. That's insane. The, the zero at the end matters. So um, I'm going to just grab my, um, one of my projects. I went and changed mine. And, uh, and I just went ahead and put quotes on uh, all of the versions. On three, you don't have to do 3.7, 3.8, 3.9. Those are fine by themselves. But 3.10, if you if you go from, if I had dash dot dev or dash dev, YAML convert, like, thinks of it as a string. But as soon as I go to 3.10, it's 3.1. So, yeah, you want to make sure to, to quote those. That's really it. Um, and uh, that's really what I wanted to cover is to make sure that people change their CI system to be testing with uh, 3.10, but do it <laughs> with quotes <laughs> if you're using YAML. Doesn't so. YAML understand significant digits? Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, it, so. it's, it's an interesting find though like um like yeah i'm reading a 3.1 but it should read as 3.10 yeah i mean i could see how you get there yeah 
But at the same time, if you're talking versions and not just floating points, obviously yeah. the dots are not, you know, not, not decimal <laughs> separators. They're separating full whole numbers, right? Which yeah. obviously then the zero matters. Interesting. That's a good find and, and good advice. I have a quick real-time follow-up for you, Brian. Remember I had complained about not being able to deploy to 310 in production? Yeah. Uh, well, guess what? This is all 310. Woo-woo. Oh, sweet. Yeah, well, I managed nice. to get it working. MicroWizky got updated so that it will now work on 310 install, building a wheel locally on Linux. And there was another dependency I couldn't make work, but then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not even using this anymore. So I just took it out and then it works. So I put it on TalkPython, the podcast page for now. And if it doesn't freak out or cause problems, then I'll roll it out across like TalkPython training and Python bytes and stuff. So this is the guinea pig or the canary out there just hanging around. But so far, <laughs> it's perfect. Nice. Yeah. Couple of live stream thoughts here. Sam Morley. Hey, Sam says, Oh my, that is interesting about 310. And Henry Schreiner. Hey, Henry. Uh, Henry and I are going to be talking on Talk Python really soon, by the way. Uh, many YAML projects choose to accept floats and then just convert them to strings, not uh, specific to YAML. You could disallow floats here uh, if you wrote that, uh, if you wrote the action. Okay. Interesting. I, I didn't realize you could do that. Very cool. Didn't know that either. Uh huh. Okay. Did you know that Python's popular? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it has found its way to be a, a little bit more popular than it has been recently. So, you know, it continues to grow. Brian Skin sent this over. Thank you, Brian. And the headline here is pretty neat. Beating C and Java, Python becomes the most the number one most popular programming language. Boom, says Tiobi. So the Tiobi index is interesting. To me, it feels like a little bit more of a lagging indicator. And it's also a bit more of a enterprise-focused indicator. So that's why Java and C have been popular for so long. But apparently, Python has sort of made its way into that world as well. And uh, they're quoting this article over here on ZDNet and, and this the thing I'm linking to. And it says, for the first time in more than 20 years, we have a new leader of the pack. The longstanding hegemony of Java and C is over. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good, right? It is. And I, I think it's one of the reasons the the you, like you said the business community is using it a lot more in and in uh, large companies that might also be why we're seeing um, we're seeing the the numbers in surveys of Windows users using Python. Um, oh yeah, staying really high. Uh, I think maybe yeah. it's because of that. I think one of the big reasons is like it, the entry to the language, the barrier entry is like pretty easy. Like anybody could learn the language and get into the language, and the ecosystem and the libraries around the language. It just makes stuff so much easier to do. So that's one of the yeah. reasons it's at the top. I was also reading on Stack Overflow. Um, somebody shared on Reddit that Python has now most number of asked questions compared to Java now. So how oh, interesting on uh, probably on Stack Overflow. Yeah, nice. It was somebody yeah. shared on Reddit as a discussion. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so if we look you here, do this. oh, I want I want the most popular languages. Yeah, this is real time. Look at that. Oh yeah, it's not even close. It's <laughs> not even close. It is. I remember seeing that when this was back here, back in this area, 2017, and they predicted this. And they predicted something like a little bit even less than reality. And people are like, no way. There's no way it's going to just do that. And it's even more real uh, wild than, than this. So very, very cool. So yeah, super neat. I'm, I'm thinking this is just another sign that, you know, focusing on Python is good. Muhammad, I think you touched on a lot of reasons why you know, people get attracted to it because it's easy and it's simple and it's clean and they just want to do a small thing. But then your small thing, as everyone knows, just gets a slightly more complicated yeah. and more complicated. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, 
the thing you start with as something simple, it can't do, it can't grow to become the thing it eventually needs to become. But Python allows you to build way more complex software. So you don't get ejected into like, well, I have to leave because, you know, I want to use threads and I'm using VB6 and it doesn't have threads. So I guess I'll go learn C or like, there's not that kind of story that happens around Python nearly as often. So people just stick in it, like accumulates like a snowball going downhill. Yeah. Um, so Sam Morley brought up that he thinks that some of this might be around the data science community um, coming into Python. So. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, very good. Very good. Okay. So yeah, Mohammed, I guess we got your item up next is the first one, right? Yeah. So the item that I chose was newspaper 3K. It's named as newspaper, but the original name is 3K because it, it supports Python 3 now. It's an amazing library. I used it at work. Um, I was helping auditors to generate news reports. So what they were doing was like going onto internet, finding news reports manually. So I was just using, uh, my job was to like uh, write a Flask web application and using this library and Google RSS feeds to find the news articles and then pass those links to this library to like generate useful information such as the description, the title, the length of the article and stuff like that. So like it helped me a lot and then it'll help us, like it helped me a lot in terms of automating the process which people were doing manually where I was working. So this is amazing. Oh, fantastic. Yes, yeah, wow. so Newspaper 3K, it's like web scraping. Yeah, it's, it's like it web has, scraping. Yeah, but it has um, higher level semantics built into it. Like you can yeah. ask the title, when yep. was it published? Not Not the some sort of e-tag weird thing yeah. on the server, but like when did it, the article declare that it was written sort of thing, right? And who's the author? Yep. All sorts of cool stuff in there. And and the best thing is like, it also does the summary of the article. Like it, it it's not too like 100%, right? But it's just like extractive summary of the article, which is pretty useful. Like if you like doing newspaper creation articles and stuff like that, for like auditors I was doing this way, they found it really useful. Yeah. Oh, I'm totally going to use this. Yeah. I'm yeah, still well, one of those RSS readers, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, super cool. So the API is basically you give it a URL and you say download and then parse, and then yeah. you have article.authors, article.publish date, article.text, top yep. image, yep. Uh, movies if it contains any embedded video. You can even do keyword analysis yep. on it. Keywords and yeah. summary, yeah, nice. Like you can yeah. do all sorts of things that, that might be useful to you. Huh. So I can see that this is a, a cool input into other things right like not just straight consuming the information but if you're trying to understand trends yep. and stuff right you could go around and just hit all the main websites and go yeah. and say okay show us the keywords and, and show us anything that's new or that is is new <clears throat> and also appearing more frequently yeah if i remember correctly with this there's also things you can do where you can follow you can point it at a home page and it'll give you like categories and all the articles in the categories. Like you could point it at CNN.com or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can do all sorts of things with this. The re it, it just makes so much stuff easier compared to using Beautiful Soup. Like in Beautiful Soup, you like have to do and go scrape web yourself. But like this makes so much stuff easier. Yeah. So it's just an amazing library. Cool. Awesome. Uh, a good one for sure. All right, Brian, you're up next, I think. All right. Well, um, I'm going to cover something I'm like super excited about, but it's a little niche. Uh, anyway, so uh, editable installs. So when you when you're working with a package, uh, Python package, and developing it, one of the things that I do a lot is I have it open in my editor, but I also have like a window open where I'm running PyTest and stuff. So I, I need to 
I want the package to be installed. And it really helps if you're editable, it's editable so that uh, when I make changes in the code, it's instantly appears in my, you know, my test window or whatever. Um, and so pip, in, pip uh, supports this. It's a, you say pip install dash E and then give it a path to your local project. And apparently you can do uh git repos like this too. I don't know how that would oh, yeah. work, but. Okay. That's interesting because you can do git for pip. And so I guess instead of saying install it as a package, install it as edible, but does it like clone it locally? What happens there? <laughs> well, it does. I mean, installing from uh, Git does clone it first, but I don't know what the point would be because you're still, you're not editing it on Git. Anyway, uh, I use it for a local directory. It's a cool feature, um, but it didn't. And I also like Flit, but Flit, but Flit uses pyproject.toml and pip installable-e install that she didn't work with uh with Pi project intel last this week last week uh really recently so a workaround for flit was you would have to install a pth file uh, or with a dash and you have to do you have to install flit first then you don't and this is a if if somebody's if somebody's helping you but they're not uh they're not used to flit this is a weird thing to for to tell them about uh you can do pth file or symlink but then there, there came along somebody that said, hey, a PEP660 said, hey, we should do editable installs for project by project.toml projects also. It requires that the back end supports this also. So there's changes needed to both PIP and FLIT. However, now we have it. So um, just recently, uh, oh, well, let's jump back. PIP21.3 came out. When was it? October 11th. And yeah, FLIT. Very recently. Split 3.4 came out October 10th. And with these two things in place, you can now, um, you have to, you have to regenerate your project file or change it to use 3.4 for flit. But, uh, but editable installs work. Um, and so I was playing with it. I'm like, this is so cool. Uh, I love doing this. Uh, but I was like, how do I get my, uh, dependencies in there? So one of the things that, uh, flit allows and pipe project.toml allows is optional dependencies. So the normal dependencies, your project dependencies, automatically get installed when you do a uh, install dashi. But the optional ones don't. So you have to give it a bracket. Of, you know, you have to say like install the my thing with the optional like test or doc or something. Well, the way you do that with uh, with a local directory is you have to just make sure you put it in quotes. So <laughs> quote dot bracket test close yeah. bracket close quote. Okay, uh, so, totally obvious. <laughs> not totally obvious, but uh, not bad either. So uh, anyway, I'm excited about this a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's really cool. Good find. Uh, let's see. Um, out there, follow up for you, Muhammad. Real quick. Sam says, I still have nightmares of BS4 <laughs> and feed parser. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's really hard to work with BS4. <laughs> BS4 is great for what it's for, but it's like yeah. assembly language is great. It doesn't mean I should write in it all the time, right? No, I agree. And yeah. plus, right. I don't think BS4 does like scraping of dynamic pages. For that, you like have to use I. Which yeah. I forgot the package name Selenium for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you do. Okay, so the next one I want to talk about here is is pretty cool, and it's it's an unusual project because if you're going to go work on some Python data science, you usually want to go do that in notebooks, but you might just want to think about it as kind of like an Excel spreadsheet. You might want to walk up to it and go, okay, well, let me just see a grid of this. I'll filter it this way. I'm going to hide that column. I'm going to like remove, you know, only show data with some property and then look at it. That would be nice if you could visually do that, right? 
So what we've got here, this one comes to us from, let me make sure to give attribution, from Tomas Rolo. Uh, thank you for sending that in. So is this thing called Mido. And Mido is a spreadsheet that helps you complete your Python analysis. What you do is you create the Mido sheet, which is like an embedded Excel thing, like thing or Google Sheets thing into your notebook. You play around with that. And then the cell below, it writes the code. So let me see if I can show you an example here. So there's this spreadsheet up at the top. And as you interact with it, you can see there's this cell down here that says import pandas is PD. Netflix titles equals pd.readcsv. And it gives it a file because you clicked a button and said open CSV for your data source in that spreadsheet. And then they said, I want to, um, what did they say? They remove some of the columns like rating and type and so on. And then um, create a pivot table off of that. And it just writes all the Python code for you below. Yeah, I think right in the notebook. I kind of really like this library. Like it, it's going to make a lot of stuff easy for like people who are just doing data analysis. Because like what they do most of the time is like they're browsing Stack Overflow to like write the find and find the right answer to like solve their problem. So like this is going to save them a lot of time. I totally agree. And if you go and play with it, you'll see a section that says mitocode start, do not edit, mitocode end, do not edit. A totally reasonable use case for this, which might not be what Mido themselves recommend because they want to you know, promote their tool and, and sort of be part of the story. But a reasonable thing would do to do would be to like embed this, play around with it to get just the right thing, and then strip out the the Mido bits and just leave the fragments that it wrote in there. Yeah, that, that the, would be amazing though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to tell anybody use a spreadsheet yeah, to do it. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that would be um, amazing. Yeah, and it even does really cool comments on the section. So it puts it all into one cell, right? Instead of a whole bunch of cells, which I think is reasonable. Um, but it does, like the comments that it writes are imported Netflix title CSV, pivoted Netflix title CSV into data frame two, uh, flattened the column headers, reset the column name and indexes. Like those are meaningful comments, right? This is pretty nice, actually, what it generates. It's not horrible code that you would, you know, run away from. That's cool. Isn't that neat? So people the, who are really familiar with spreadsheets can kind of ease into data analysis. Yes, yeah, and, exactly. And they can do like really like um, easy tasks, like if they want to filter out data instead of like going out on internet and finding out how to use pandas to like filter out data, they can directly use Mito for that. So it's going to like save them a lot of time on that. I agree. I could see myself using this. No, no doubt. Like I think pandas is great, but I don't know yeah. it super well. And yeah. if I, yeah, I know, like, I kind of yeah. want to do this thing, but I don't really know how. Like, yeah. select, select to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's that's the thing about pandas. Like, pandas is amazing, but there's like so much stuff in pandas that you don't know top of your head. So you have to do like searching the documentation, like Google Stack Overflow for that. And I can see this library being really useful though, like for that specific reason. Like, you want to do quick analysis, you use Mito for that, and boom, you have the code write down, generate it. Yeah, super cool. The other thing worth pointing out is you don't have to start your notebook this way. You can actually hand it an existing data frame. So you could do your work down until you get you know, some data frame generated from who knows where, and then hand that off to Mito and then have it write the you know the next fragment of code that you're going to write. So nice. I, I think this is neat. I, I could totally see myself using it. There's a cool tutorial you can go through, but I recommend you watch the data slicing with Mito 2 video that's right at the top of that. It's like... I don't know, a couple of minutes, how long is it? It's six and a half minutes. It'll give you a really good sense of what's happening there. The other thing worth pointing out is when you see plans at the top, that means it costs money. <laughs> but there's a individual one that's just totally free forever. 
works with Jupyter Lab 2 and 3. But if you want like team support, there's a paid thing. And given that they're creating this and giving it out to the world, it seems fair enough. It's something you can plug in. You don't depend massively upon it. Like I said, you could even like use it to generate your code and then uh, take it back out if you want. Yeah. So pretty cool. Props to uh, Mido team. That That's pretty nice. Uh, Brian, real-time follow-up here on, from Henry out in the audience. Editable and star installs aren't niche, but since we got editable installs for setup CFG-only pro- projects in PIP 21.1, it's now just supported for arbitrary build backends in PIP 21.3. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for the extra info. Also, uh, ZDOX says edible installs? <laughs> <laughs> we probably have yeah. said editable. Edi- yeah. Edible when we editable. Editable. Yeah, <laughs> so. Indeed, indeed. All right, uh, let's see. So, Mohammed, you got yours. Uh, you're uh, up next, right? Yeah. Yep. So, I have this library called Troposwerker. It's an amazing library and helps you generate cloud formation templates writing Python. So, I do this on my job a lot. Like, I work with DevOps people writing cloud formation templates. And sometimes it's hard to write cloud formation templates because of the formatting part in YAML. YAML can get messy. Like, you might mess up the format and then your file won't even run. And then you'd be like hunting down, where did I? added extra space. So this library solves a specific uh, specific problem, like helping you write uh, uh, templates using Python language. So like, this is an amazing library. If you like writing a lot of CloudFormation templates, I would definitely recommend using this. I see. So normally you use an AWS CloudFormation JSON yeah, config most file. People, most right? people use JSON and some people like, so it's like, it's up to you. Like it's, you can either write in JSON or write in like YAML. But let's say you're writing in JSON and like say you mess up the format. Like let's say you mess up a bracket or a comma somewhere, then you might be like, um, like if you don't have the right linter, then you might be like hunting down the file looking for like where did I miss the comma to fix this. So like it, 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 when you like having large templates, it gets harder to like I would say debug them. Yeah, another thing that's nice is JSON is static, right? But yeah. Python code executes, so you could like loop over stuff and say, "I'm going to yeah. need ten of these." Yeah. So let's yeah. call it this one. You know, one, two, three. You know, machine yeah. one, machine two, machine three, or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah, I was going to actually point point that out, but like, thank you for pointing that out. Like, I was going to say, like, you can actually like leverage the power, leverage the power of Python language, to, like iterate over stuff. Like, let's say you need ten subnets instead of like writing ten subnets in JSON, you could just iterate and then produce like ten subnets. Yeah, so, exactly. That's awesome. It, yeah, it just makes stuff so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you hear all the time with cloud stuff, infrastructure as code or yeah. You know, that that kind of stuff. And this just it's like another layer, right? Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Very cool. Brian, you guys do anything with cloud stuff in your world? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's all hardware, all all yeah. uh, behind the scenes. Well, I mean, we we use um uh we've got a lot of servers and stuff and we've got a lot of services running, but they're all they're all internal. We don't use a lot of cloud services. Um, some things are easing up a little bit um, that we're using because because there's a lot of things that are just so much easier when you go into the open cloud, but mm-hmm. there's security issues also. Yeah, for sure. All right, awesome. Well, another good one for people doing yeah. AWS stuff. There's also the, what is it, the AWS Cloud SDK or something like that? Yeah, Cloud SDK. It, it, yeah, the it cloud. What's the relationship of these two things? It's like pretty similar, but like uh, if you like, uh, it also has support for TypeScript, like it's, uh, it also has support for Python and TypeScript, but like it's more like a personal preference. So like I prefer this library because it's pretty much supported in Python. Like it from the start, it was built for Python. So that's why like, I like this library more than um, AWS Cloud CDKs. But they, they both do the same job basically. 
The only the, the only missing part is like what cloud when whenever the cloud CDK generates a template for you, it also allows you to deploy it directly using the CDKs. But what Troposphere does, it allows you to generate the template, but it doesn't like allow you to like de deploy it directly on the cloud. So like you basically have to take the template and put it onto CloudFormation to deploy the resources. Yeah, that seems reasonable. You know, yeah. we could store those in yeah. version control and stuff yeah. like that. Like here, here's what we did to change yeah. our cloud setup and here yeah. it is in version control, right? Yep. Nice. Well, I think that brings us to our extras, Brian. Is that right? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I think so. You got anything you want to share with folks? Uh, just that the PyCon 2022 site is there now. You what? can't sign up yet, but there's the 2222 site. I've I am seen some Salt Lake City uh, so mountains there. Yeah, I'm so excited to go to Salt Lake City. Uh, I assume uh, you're going, hopefully. Hopefully, if I can. Yeah, yeah I definitely have plans to. I, I can't wait to see everybody in person again. Yeah, I, it's so interesting to think about um, where we are with conferences and stuff. So I was just at Pi Bay, uh, which is really cool. Um, and I'll even pull up that on the screen here. Like this, this is where the Pi Bay conference was held, like literally in this in this outdoor food cart area where there's a bunch of cabanas and then each cabana had its own TV and its audio video feed. So you could be in groups of like six or seven outside, but there was oh, like neat. hundreds of people there, right? Which is really cool. And I think that that's kind of a template for, uh, for going forward for a lot of things happening these days. I've actually invited Grace, uh, who was one of the people who helped put this on, on the show. So maybe we'll have her tell us more about this later, but I, I don't know how this works into an event as big as PyCon or as big as any of those, things, right? Yeah. I mean, so you got to have a really big outdoor space, which would be awesome. Maybe like like a theme park. Like I'll, I'm going to watch this one from the roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, Jose out there says, looking forward to attending my first PyCon. Yeah, it's, it's super fun. And uh, Teddy, hey, Teddy says, whoop, whoop, for the PyCon announcement. Yeah, that's great. How about you? Any extras? Uh, you know what? I didn't have any until I did. I actually wanted to just point out this tweet that I saw you put out here about, uh, um, Oh, I think um, I just saw the tweet in the morning. <laughs> yeah. About Pi E and V yeah. as, uh, having a, a challenge for windows users. And if you make that the core part of your tutorial, then you're like starting out putting windows users who represent what 45% of the developers or something on the back foot, uh, on your tutorial. So yeah. What do you think? <laughs> well, it was just like a comment. I saw a tutorial and I was like, why is this? I mean, that's not the default way to install Python. So I put yeah. this out there and it kind of blew up a little bit. Uh, so Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's got like 121 likes. So anyway, I think that that's an interesting uh, thing to add. Muhammad, you got any extras as well before, yeah. we, before so, we get to uh, the next thing? So my extra is like how to learn Unix. So it's, I read this article a long time ago, but like it's an amazing article for especially people who are like, um, getting to Linux world and like learning command line. So like it talks about how you can use tools like using man pages and like help flags with the tool. So like it gives you like info and insights about how to actually use the tool and like exploring wikis and like stack workflow questions. I think it was an amazing article for like beginners who want to like, we're just getting into like command line or Linux world. So that's cool. That's my I find, I found the Linux command line Mac OS a little bit less because there's often an alternative, but certainly the Linux where the sole access to it was through an SSH. I found it intimidating when I first got oh, wow. into it. 
No, I actually, I actually got into Linux right after my first semester of college. I was just trying it out as fun. And when I discovered command line, I was like, wow, you can do so much in command line. And that rest is history. Like I've been using Linux for like, I would say five years now. But now I'm recently switched to Mac OS because of my work and I'm having a hard time managing Windows now. I guess I, I had trouble get, switching to PCs because I, oh my, I was in Solaris when I was in college. Uh, oh, interesting. But, I remember walking by the Solaris going, oh, those are different. very interesting yeah cool but no this will be super helpful especially to a lot of folks out there who don't work with a lot i mean now i'm I'm totally comfortable with linux but i I remember the learning experience so i'm sure this will help others as well nice all right well i believe it is time for a joke and speaking of real conferences this is something that i we've done before at the pycons we did this at pycon in portland with the portland art museum there it was really fun and it's uh, the classic programmer paintings. Remember these, these, Brian? Yeah. So, yeah. so the idea is you take a legitimate, historical, maybe 400-year-old piece of fine art, and then you ignore the actual name, and you put your own sort of techie interpretation upon it. <laughs> so, so here, um, this, is a, this one, we've got this, this balloon taking off into uh, like a dark, cloudy red sky, and two wolves just like sort of forlorn watch it go. The ground is kind of on fire, but it's also snowy. I don't really understand that. But that, you know, this is some proper painting that who knows what it is, right? But if you look at the title, (laughs) the title is Alphabet Cancels Loon, right? Loon was their project where they'd put balloons up over places without much internet and that would beam down internet. So here's like the final (laughs) loon balloon going off into the smoky sky. (laughs) It's in Zdzislaw Besinski, 1979, oil on masonite. Beautiful. Alphabet cancels loon. So we used to go around to the art (laughs) museum there and we would like at the conference, they would have like a dinner there or something. We'd just go around and like uh, try to um, one-up each other on on doing this to like real paintings. It was fun. But this whole classic programmer paintings.com, endless joy right there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely going to check these guys out. Yeah, you can spend a long time going through. It's been around for a while, so it's good stuff. I'm chuckling at some right now. I got to stop looking at it. Yeah, exactly. While we're, while I'm, I'm strongly resisting the urge to just scroll through them because yeah, we're yeah. doing a show. But I'll, I'll do it later. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, you bet, Brian. Thanks for being here as always. And Mohammed, thank you for joining us. It's Thanks been great. Welcome. And it was a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye, everyone out there. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B Y T E S. Get the full show notes over at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item we should cover, just visit pythonbytes.fm and click submit in the nav bar. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. If you want to join us for the live recording, just visit the website and click live stream to get notified of when our next episode goes live. That's usually happening at noon Pacific on Wednesdays over at YouTube. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.